Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Bart Baldwin is going to join us today. He has over two decades of experience in public policy, lobbying, and executive level management in the healthcare and human services fields. And he's going to provide us some insight on some public policy decisions, state funding, and how he's providing support to those in the autism community. It's not the most fun topic, I know, but his experience, I believe, will open your eyes. And as always, if you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and share with a friend. That's how we make our voice stronger. Thanks for listening. Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. As we all know far too well, at least for our listeners in the United States, health insurance can be really complicated. Many of us have spent so many hours trying to connect the dots with insurance coverage. It's absolutely so stressful. And I personally have cried so many times to strangers on the other end of the phone just trying to make sense of it all. The insurance landscape has changed drastically over the years. And the good news is, as hard as it may seem some days, we have made some progress. As an example, at least 200 million people now have health insurance coverage for ABA because of the tireless efforts and dedication of advocates across the country. One of these advocates is Bart Baldwin. He's a longtime state lobbyist in the state of Kentucky, and his efforts and advocacy have protected the rights, services, and supports of our autism community. Previously, Bart served as the president of the Children's Alliance, representing child welfare agencies in Kentucky, and he was also the national director of regional public policy for the Washington, D.C.-based Child Welfare League of America. Again, I understand this is not the most interesting or fun topic. Bart's really going to love this lead-in, I know. But I can assure you, in my conversations with Bart, he has opened my eyes to just how much hard work is being done behind the scenes that most of us are completely unaware of. Let's welcome Bart Baldwin. Bart, thanks so much for joining us today. And I know that this topic isn't probably the most fun topic for everyone. But when we were speaking earlier this week, face to face, I, of course, had a lot of questions uh, for you, being a state lobbyist in the state of Kentucky, and you shed so much really cool information on what goes on behind the scenes that I knew that our listeners would really appreciate the information as well. So thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So health insurance is a beast. And I know all of our listeners have been navigating all of the complexities of it. And you have a background where you have spent a lot of time advocating to protect the rights, services, and supports of the autism community. So I do want to touch and let our listeners know a little bit about the work that you've done behind the scenes. So how did you get into the autism community advocacy? Sure. Uh, Basically, I've been uh, lobbying for about 22 years um, and primarily focused on children's services, foster care agencies, and that type of thing. I was running an association, and one of our members who did services for children with autism asked me to meet with a group of parents that were trying to get a bill passed, Um, and it was, uh, and I did. Um, A few weeks later, um, I I was happy to talk with them and tell them about lobbying and advocacy and 
what to do in the state capital. And uh, there were a couple of, several weeks later, there were a couple of uh, moms of had sons with autism walking the halls of the Senate um, trying to get a bill passed. And so, you know, long story short, they hooked me in, their passion, uh, their stories, the struggles they've had and how important this was to them really kind of looped me in, um, and I became an instant advocate um, uh, on their behalf and have continued that for over 10 years now. Um, and so that's kind of how I got involved with it. It, it eventually turned into um, a contract for me with Autism Speaks at the national level to work at the state level, and, and I currently have a, um, a group of ABA providers in Kentucky that I work with, many of which I met during the time of working on our um, autism mandate legislation and so that's kind of how I got involved with and continued to work and really it's been one of the highlights of my career. That's incredible. I love the fact that there were two autism moms walking the Senate just really trying to get a bill passed because I think that's where a lot of the stories start off is that you have these autism parents or these autism caregivers that aren't getting the support that they need. So they start they start somewhere. And sometimes it's like we don't, we don't necessarily have a plan. We just know that something has to be done. And to have people like you that are helping us get the bills passed to provide us the, the support that we need and the services that we need is absolutely critical. And so thank you so much for helping those two women out and then now just continuing it on because we're far from where we need to be, but we have made so much progress because of people like you. Thank you. So you mentioned, okay, we've got the state mandate. And a lot of states now do have a mandate. Can you share the process of how that came to be and really what all was involved in that to really just show people how much work and effort it actually took to get to where we are today? Absolutely. I mean, when I first got involved, um, you know, I have a a healthcare background um, and I was just dumbfounded when they shared with me that, well, we have health insurance, we have commercial health insurance, we pay our premiums, you know, we're not asking for something, you know, government assistance or some kind of special program. Uh, we just found out that our child was, at one point, you know, previously in their lives, but um, our child uh, was diagnosed with autism and we turned to our insurance company and said, no, we don't cover services for children with autism. Like, what? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is completely blatantly discriminatory. I mean, how is that allowed? Right. But it was standard. It was common and, and still is in some cases. Um, and so that was the, the genesis of, you know, state mandates, uh, you know, for insurance companies. Um, that level of insurance is uh, regulated at the state level for small group, large group, individual group policies. And so... Autism Speaks started the effort back in 06 and 07 in South Carolina with uh, Laura Unum and, and with a passing a state mandate to insurance mandate to require insurance companies to provide coverage for children with autism. And mm-hmm. so that was the beginning of it. Kentucky, we passed our first one in um, 2010, and um, they're now up to all 50 states. 
as of just a few weeks ago, frankly. Tennessee was the last one to come on board. Yeah. Um, and this has been since 07, so that's how long it's taken to go state by state and get that done, and been really excited to be a part of that. We passed our mandate in 2010. We came back in 2018 and revised it because our original one had um, some age limits um, and some dollar caps, uh, depending on where you, how old your child was and what kind of plan you had. Um, and we felt that was still discriminatory against, uh, you know, child with autism and their family, and it had no bearing whatsoever on the medical necessity or the treatment plan or the needs of the the child. So just arbitrary numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were successful in getting that that changed just so that our mandate in Kentucky now has no limits or dollar caps whatsoever. I was really proud of that. And and to your point, I'm making that sound much simpler than it was. <laughs> I'm, I know. <laughs> I'm sure. So, so, you know, and this, this is the role, I guess, that I felt I've played. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, re- referencing back to the to the start of this with uh, those two moms, you know, they lived it. They know it. They mm-hmm. understand it. You know, um, but they didn't know how to get a bill passed. Why would they? You know, but that's what I do. That's what I know. And that's the process of who to talk to and, and when and, and um, so I really felt that I could help navigate them and, and other uh, providers. It wasn't just those two. There was lots of other family members, parents that across the state would come down to hearings and that type of thing and contact their legislators, call and support House Bill 159. I mean, that grassroots effort is critical. You know, a story that uh, real quickly um, was walking into a senator's office with these two fine ladies and... Um, a senator I knew, a lady from Lexington, and she, uh, and uh, I, 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 you know, said hello to her and introduced her with me. She's like, oh, good, the real people. Thank goodness to see you. <laughs> 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 I, was like, I was like, I appreciate that. I'm not sure that what, that, what that makes me, but okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously the point is, is she sees me. I'm down there. That's what I do. But she wanted to hear from, you know, the parents and the families they're living this day to day. And I can't underestimate that. Absolutely. Uh, that, that aspect of all this. I mean, it's great, you know, to have somebody um, shepherding the stir, navigating the, the waters as, as I did on behalf of the group. But, you know, I can't underestimate the importance of families with children with autism, knowing their legislator, calling their legislators, making their voices heard. Um, yeah. Because... It's a totally different discussion when we went in, sat down. Whenever I sit down with the legislator on a particular issue, and I explain what we're working on, and if they've heard from constituents back home, it is a quick conversation. It's yeah, much easier. They're like, "Yes, I've heard from folks back in my district about this, and I want to want to help." Versus me just trying to, you know, leverage a relationship I have and convince them with the facts or the data or whatever. You know, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. You know, is important. But the most important is that they've heard from one of their constituents. Yeah. You know, or multiple, and, you know, the more the better. So that's been a part of the process. We really utilized that back in, in 2010. You know, not so much in 2018. We did because we had a lot of support from the legislature, uh, thankfully. Um, and we didn't utilize it as much the second go around, but we were able to get both bills passed without any no votes in the House or Senate on that bill. And one of the things that I think helped the odd way to say it, but it helps this cause is from a public policy perspective is especially now, and it was even true in 09 and 2010, um, you know, it's hard to meet anybody that doesn't 
have a family member or know somebody, a close friend that has a child or a young or even adult with autism in their family. Um, and so, you know, that first Senate committee meeting we went to back in '09, there were nine members on the uh, committee, and four of them had a uh, child or grandchild with autism. And so, that's a wholly different, whole different discussion. Yeah. That's really what I think helped us overcome and have success because you know, there's lots of groups out there that oppose any kind of insurance mandate regardless of the topic it's not about autism it's just they don't want any more insurance mandates because it you know drives up costs for insurance, health insurance which is as you know is a huge issue sure um in our country from a small business perspective from individual families perspective you know everybody complains and i'm one of them about my cost of my health insurance believe me yeah um, continues to go up and my benefits continue to go down. Right. (laughs) But regardless of that, um, we can't allow insurance companies to discriminate lately against children with autism and their families. Absolutely. And when we were speaking earlier, it's just like any other kind of diagnosis. It's, you know, if, if a child or an individual calls up and you submit something to the insurance company because they have cancer, or if they have diabetes, like even though the insurance company may still be a little hesitant on paying, you know, their portion of some of the bills, it's a lot easier. And that's just really kind of a sad thing when someone is handing you a piece of paper saying, I have a diagnosis, my child needs help and needs the support. And when it's just, um, just, is ignored and that's really just sad so that's a huge huge thing yeah and i use that as part of my argument when talking with legislators i personally have a niece who's getting ready to turn 16 and the picture of health but she was six weeks old she was diagnosed with leukemia and went through a couple rounds of chemotherapy ended up having to get a bone marrow transplant and you know her health and future was I mean, it was at it was at risk for a long yeah. time there, very early in her life, and through um, a lot of prayer and a lot of great um, services, mm-hmm. <laughs> the medical community, she fought through it, and she's like I said, she's picture of health now, but not these days, and has been for a long time. But you know, nobody, I mean, it didn't matter. She didn't have dollar caps, and she didn't have an age limit. You know, I mean, if you're six today and your benefits X number of dollars, you turn seven tomorrow, it's going to drop off to fifth of that well that has nothing to do with your medical needs or your treatment plan right and so um you know it just it just doesn't make any sense and i think it's it's just a practice that came into being i have no idea how it was ever allowed but we do have at least in the state a mandate in all 50 states at this point um and i tell you what a lot of groups learn is once you get the mandate it's not over yeah <laughs> you know yep. you've got to enforce it you still got to deal with uh, implementation of it. You still have to hold insurance companies, you know, accountable. And that's a lot of what we work on now with my group of uh, ABA providers is, is dealing with the health insurance companies to be sure that they have adequate networks of, of, and availability of services um, and, uh, you know, pay for services that the child needs. I mean, health insurance, you're always dealing with prior authorizations Mm-hmm. necessity and all those things that everybody deals with on, on every diagnosis or every treatment, but, uh, but we shouldn't be spending on that long And this is kind of a great, yeah, segue into, okay, so we have the mandates. Now a larger issue that has come up, and most recently with uh, the Anthem insurance company, is that 
you know, you have the rates that these insurance companies are saying that they they will pay to the providers of the services. And this has kind of been an ongoing battle because as we know, we need these providers to have the services for our our loved ones. And if the rates are so low for the providers that they can't adequately staff these therapy centers or the services that they're providing, then some of them will most likely go under, which is the exact opposite of what we need. We need more of them. So can you speak a little bit on what you guys are doing in in working with these insurance companies and uh, just the legislation on on what's being done? Sure. Um, you know, that's one of the, the ongoing implementation and challenges of even if you have a mandate. Um, you know, you're not done at that point. I think early on, folks say, oh, we got the bill passed, we're done. But, you know, there's, there's ongoing diligence. Um, and this is a great example of working with insurance companies and um, Department of Insurance or whomever we need to to be sure that they have an adequate network. Um, mm-hmm. Insurance companies on all, all types of services. Um, there's state law and requirements to have network, they call network adequacy. It's essentially saying that if my members that are with Anthem or any other commercial plan has uh, Need this needs the service that they have in network an adequate you know supply of those provider types. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for most families, you're talking about your primary care physician or your you know if you have a particular issue you know your cardiologist or whatever it might be that you know everybody's you know, kind of normally looked at who's in network with the insurance company and is there someone close by or within a reasonable time frame for me to get to for that primary care or that specialist or physical therapy or whatever it may be. Sure. Um, and it's the same for for ABA, which is, you know, as you know, that primarily outside of some of those other issues with uh, our services with PTOT or speech or nutritionist and that type of thing. But, you know, the um, autism, um, it's mostly from ABA. And so there's, there's no different requirement for... Um, insurance companies that they have an adequate available network mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately that comes a lot of times comes down to what they pay for the service right and negotiating with that that uh, provider um, because you say it, it's a very um, specialized service folks that deliver that service require training and licensure in, in many states uh, that's, you have an additional license and and uh, you know, and so you, there's a cost associated with that. Like any any business, there's cost associated with staffing and having the right, right credential and trained staff available. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, rates aren't covering that cost. It's really hard to build that network. And so, you know, that's kind of kind of where we are cur- currently. We're working with that issue in Kentucky, but I know other states are um, mm-hmm. with that. And I'm sure every state, at some level, with one insurance company or another, facing those issues. But that's that's something that. As working on behalf of uh, my client, it's a group of, that, of uh, providers that's, that's you know, working with, with that issue in terms of coding and the rates, um, as well as with the state Medicaid program on those issues as well. Right. I've talked, had several different conversations, not at a granular level, because believe me, I really don't want to get granular with it, but... <laughs> Uh, the the my son's ABA provider they 
the administrative portion of it, you think, oh, these providers, they provide therapy. But what really goes on is there is so much time that they spend with insurance companies really fighting for coverage for your child and really working with them on the rates or just, you know, just coverage, period. And so their job's not done after they they see your child. They have to go back to their computers and the phone and make countless, endless phone calls and emails with, with these people. So I think that's important to know. And a lot of people may already know it, but it's definitely important to point out. Well, I think that that particular aspect of it is the same struggles of that provider type as you see as your your primary care doc. You know, mm-hmm. why are so many of you, know, you don't see hometown doctors and doctor or two doctors and you know can practice together anymore? That that's a rarity. Mm-hmm. All part of hospital systems or healthcare systems that, that have been bought up, and, and that you know that's kind of the crux of it. They can't, you know, you can't. It's hard to do that as a, a smaller provider, spend that much time and not have um, the kind of resources to have scale, to have multi, you know, right. you know, to be able to, if you're one or two docs and it's really hard to spend that much time and still see, still provide good services to your patients. And so, so that's, you know, that's just part of where we are, uh, at least in this country, in terms of uh, health insurance and and what it takes and the extra time and effort it takes just to get paid after you've delivered the service. Sure. Um, and I think we can't get it. We're not going to fix that problem around ABA because it's much more systemic than just this particular therapy. But what we, we can advocate for is that there's not blatant uh, additional barriers put on and, and additional limits or caps or those types of things put on services for children with autism uh, beyond just the normal health insurance claims and billing processes. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. I just want to, because you were kind of sharing some information and I'll provide your your contact information in the show notes. But when I was looking at some of the information on, you know, what, what exactly does BART do? He's a state lobbyist, but what does that really mean? And this is just my ignorance. But when someone says like lobbying, direct lobbying to key decision makers. The number, okay, you've got, and I'm just reading a bullet point list. So General Assembly, the Governor's Office, Cabinet for Health and Family Services, Department for Medicaid Services, Department for Behavioral Health Developmental and Intellectual Disabilities, Department of Education, and the Medicaid Managed Care Organizations. That's a lot of lobbying. That's a lot of work. And so it just really surprised me, not saying that I I know there's a lot of work to be done, but to have that many points of contact is really just mind-boggling. You're making me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that on on a daily basis. But, uh, you know, the process of lobbying, and I think that um, I'll have to do a shout-out for my profession that most people – uh, if they know what it is at all, it's one of those things that tends to have uh, oftentimes a negative connotation from mm-hmm. scandals or lobbyists or, you know, Ab- Jack Abramoff, you know, was a big thing at the federal level and flying legislators to the Caribbean for, you know, dinners and week- you know, weekend trips and all that. And sure. 
I mean, they may go on in D.C., but I tell you, they go on in Franklin, Kentucky. Yeah. I don't do any of that. You know, zero. Right. We have, um, you know, a very strict ethics law in Kentucky um, as far as paying or buying anything for a legislator. Um, mm-hmm. And it really, the lobbying role, well, it, 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 it's a, uh, in a lot of ways, it's a combination of relationships and brokering and, and having those relationships and understanding how all these decisions are made and mm-hmm. how a bill becomes a law or how regulations are passed in the various departments what the policies are so it's really a lot to keep up with that and the service itself to my clients is really just helping them not only helping them navigate all of that but just being the expert on how to get things done i mean a lot of times mm-hmm. the decision makers are the legislators or the commissioners in those departments so Mm-hmm. I'm not the decision maker. My job is to influence those decision makers to make some decisions that would be supported and, and beneficial to my clients. Right. You know, um, I tell a lot of folks that a lobby, lobbyist is, um, if you're running a business and you interact, either your contract with government or you're regulated by government in one way or another, it's it's a similar role that you would have for your attorney or your, your CTA. Sure. You know, if you... If you're going to court, you're going to take your attorney with you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're because they know how the court works and the processes and filings and briefs and all that type of thing. That's what they do. If you're, you know, if you're getting audited by the IRS or you're filing your taxes, you know, you want your CPA because that's what they're they're trained and knowledgeable in. And so, if you're interacting with government um, executive branch or legislative branch either way, then a lobbyist kind of plays that role. Um, we're your advocate with those decision makers, but we're also helping you uh, navigate. Just kind of connect all of the dots. Connect, connect, connect all the dots, right. And the strategy, and that comes down to you know, what's the best strategy, what's the best message, given all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where's the opportunity? Where where can whatever we're advocating for line up with a priority for a legislator, a priority for a particular department? How can we find that synergy mm-hmm. um, so we can try to move things forward? So, um, and the big difference between lobbying and those other two professions I mentioned is the courts and legal and attorneys are all very clear guidelines and strict processes that you have to go through. Mm-hmm. Of course, CPAs and accounting is, has their own set of guidelines and IRS code and those types of things that uh, you have to stay within. Sure. Lobbying doesn't. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't have all that. And especially when you're dealing with the legislative process, it can change by the day, you know, yeah. change by the person, you know, it depends on who's in charge and which party and which individual and what their personality is, you know, and so it's very, very fluid. Um, and that's the challenge to keep up with it is it's very fluid in what your strategy was on something. I would give you a strategy today, six months from now, I'm going to give you that strategy. Same, same problem. Sure. You know, same issue. But the players change, the you know, political environment changes. You know, we've got a, a gubernatorial election coming up in a couple months in Kentucky and whoever wins that race is could change strategy on all kinds of things. Absolutely. You know? So it's uh, like the stock market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do I buy or sell? You know? <laughs> yeah, my best strategy today may not be what it is to yeah. what six months ago or or six months from now. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of the difference, and it's really just navigating all that. That's incredible. Well, I'm glad you're doing it, and I'm not. 
<laughs> that's just I mean I will I will advocate to I'm blue in the face but having someone that can connect the dots and get in front of the decision makers is just um is just wonderful and I hope that we're able to continue to to work together, you know, as I'm advocating for the families and our individuals on the spectrum in the state of Kentucky specifically, just because that's where I am sitting, then I will do that. And absolutely just advocating for families all around the world, really, just in a very personal uh, sense. And just wanted to give you a huge shout out because you know, what you're doing, even though the word lobbyist sometimes does, like you said, doesn't have the best connotation or lawyer, you know, there are always those people that you want to have in your hip pocket because, um, and I can speak because I know you personally now, you are just a really great human being and your heart is in definitely the right place. So keep up the great work. And I'm really so fortunate to have you as part of my autism tribe. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. I mean, ultimately, it's the, you and, and your family and the families you work with is what inspires you, and that's what inspires me as well. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not, I don't do this for some, you know, to push some political or partisan or party line. It's always been about just helping helping folks, you know, and what's a good policy, what's going to help, and that, that's what motivates me. And, and uh, like I said, those... Uh, we have a <laughs> we know. have a way of doing that. Well, thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Bart. I've had many people reach out to me and ask which health insurance provides the best coverage. And I don't even know where to start because Honestly, there's so many things that can affect coverage based on the specific type of insurance your employer carries, to what state you live in, and the list literally goes on and on. Just know that there are people there that can assist you in the navigation of it all, and they are fighting to protect your family. I always say, keep the hustle and don't take no for an answer. Progress has been made because of the people that didn't stop, that didn't accept no as an answer. We're all in it together. Thanks for being a part of my autism tribe, and I'll see you next week.